Hello, assalamu alaikum, and welcome to another episode of the Young Muslim and Talented podcast with me, Muhammad Randri. And today we're also joined by my co-host Abdul Rahman. Abdul Rahman, you say hello. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. Good to good to be back on again, hosting. Every episode is a very special episode for us, but today we joined by, um, you know, the CEO of um, Islamic Finance Guru. So um, I made sure Abdul Rahman that joined us today to um, uh, to, to to interview Ibrahim because uh, he's quite a big personality, and um, and I know Abdul Rahman, you're very interested in the Islamic finance uh, uh, space as well. Um, Ibrahim, do you want to say salam to our um, our listeners? Yeah, definitely. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. And, uh, you know, Jazakallah khair to you, Muhammad and Abdurrahman, for um, having me on. And, um, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily uh, see myself as a massive personality, but that's, that's very, very kind of you to say. Um, yeah, and absolutely looking forward to, you know, inshallah, discussing, I think, particularly our mission and what we're trying to solve right now, um, because that's what, um, I guess, you know, made me uh, do what I do. And that's what I'm really excited about. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and so, you know, diving straight into that, actually, um, a lot of our listeners are young Muslims at university or, you know, transitioning into the working world. And many of them might not have, you know, considered Islamic finance as a potential route or, um, or, or as a first sort of career choice. How would you sum up what Islamic finance is to someone who, um, is hearing about it for the first time. And I'm particularly interested in getting your thoughts around what the, the key differences between is ethical and investing and Islamic finance is. Yeah, it's a really interesting question. So I guess um, in a nutshell, um, you know, what is finance first? So I guess finance, um, I think in its core is uh, things like, you know, the pipework of where money flows from, you know, from consumers to uh, businesses and between businesses and even back and forth, you know, the pipework. Then you've got this aspect of managing, um, you know, the kind of long-term flows of money from uh, the younger generation to the older generation, you know, saving for your pensions, essentially. Uh, then you've got the risk aspect and, you know, making sure that the risk in the economy is covered. So that's the insurance side. And then you've got this kind of investment bit where people who need money, probably businesses, um, get money um, from people who, who have it to give away. And then you've got the financial services that are the kind of cog in the wheel between all of you know the different sides here. And they facilitate all of that kind of really basic bread and butter stuff of finance. And, um, and I think that's been lost in mainstream finance because I think mainstream finance, it should be a servant of... Um, the wider economy. And unfortunately, you know, over the last 30, 40 years, we've seen this massive uh, financialization of the economy, where suddenly the, the size of the financial industry from, you know, a significant part of the economy, but a relatively, you know, small part of the economy has just ballooned and become absolutely massive. Um, and, you know, it's dwarfed the rest of the economy. And, and that is, I think, quite artificial. Uh, and the reason why that's happened is because you've had this in, in, you know, introduction of derivatives. Um, you've had a lot more kind of trading of instruments. And, and that's kind of, and then you've had the, the boom and bust cycles. And then you've had the, um, you know, the kind of cash injections from the governments around the world. And that's just kind of spiraled and spiraled and spiraled. And 
And I guess, um, you know, I know you've asked about Islamic finance specifically. So I guess Islamic finance is very much harkens back to the core bread and butter of finance. It doesn't really like this kind of new financialization age. It's very much about being a servant of the wider economy, being a servant of the people to help facilitate uh, the things that people need money and investment finances to do. Um, and, and Islam for, forbids uh, things like derivatives and, you know, th- things like, um, you know, excessive, um, you know, fractional reserve banking. And it, it forbids key things that would, uh, that, that would I, I think, really end uh, the excessive financializations that we see that we see today, um, and I guess specifically within Islamic finance. I mean, if you take a if you kind of take a step back, when people say Islamic finance, um, there's a whole range of different things going on, right? Because finance is this quite a loaded term, and within finance, you've got um, uh, within uh, you know uh, Islamic finance, you've got things like uh, you know the Islamic equivalent of insurance, which is the Garful. You've got uh, Islamic equivalent of investing. Then you've got Islamic banking and how to deal with that specifically. But if you kind of boil it all down, um, in a nutshell, Islamic finance is a way to um, have that relationship with money and a way to have those economic transactions and relationships in a way that adhere to uh, the uh, the Quran and the Sunnah and um, in a way that is very ethical. So I guess the two things that Islamic finance or the Sharia does really not like when it comes to economics and uh, transactions is dispute. Like we really, really don't like dispute and people falling out um, because that's not good for business, but also it's not really good for you know the wider kind of functioning of society. Um, and then also injustice. So you could have um, a, you know a riba-based contract, an interest-based contract, which is not causing any dispute, but it is fundamentally unjust. Um, and again, you know, Islam is thinking long term that that is going to be hugely problematic to society. So those are the two things that you know Islam really says that's a big no-no. Um, and I know you know we've there's a uh, Islam forbids riba, which is interest. It forbids ghara, which is gambling, and maser uh, uncertainties. Ghara and maser is gambling, but those are all actually just ways to achieve those two key goals. And that's what I think is actually really important to kind of keep in mind when it comes to Islamic finance. And then I guess with ethical investing, you're talking um, very much about um, you know how you use your money. Um, and you know how you kind of keep those principles in mind, those high-level principles in mind, um, to actually then try and make a bit of money with your money as well. Oh, <clears throat> thanks for that. That was a really uh, concise explanation. I really like what you said about it being like uh, the finance financialization being quite artificial. I've heard other kind of scholars talk about like derivatives, etc., creating this um, all of this money not really based on any actual value. Which is kind of how I've 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 understood it. Um, it would be interesting if you could tell us a bit more about how like Islamic finance guru, your company, fits into into that because I, I know you work across a couple of areas of the spectrum. So it'd be interesting to kind of get a bit more detail about that. Yeah, definitely. So um, I guess Islamic finance guru started off as a labor of love in 2015. Um, where it just started off as a blog. Um, me and Mohsin, my co-founder, we uh, met at university. We both studied very different things at Oxford. I studied PPE, studied French and Russian, actually. Um, and we knew that 
Um, we wanted to go into finance because that's where you know the action is. That's where we're interested. But then also, particularly Islamic finance because uh, you know we're Muslims. Uh, but we didn't know too much more than that as uh, you know university students. And actually, I think that's the position where most most university students are uh, these days. And um, I guess we just got stuck in. Um, I did a law convert. I did a master's in Islamic finance. I did my island course at the same time, and that went on for many years. And it was kind of during that process that um, we realised that you know there's nothing really that addresses me, the kind of young Muslim professional. It's more uh, either this is halal or haram, one liner, or a really academic text. There wasn't really anything in the middle. So we kind of just you know got started on writing that, and people found it quite useful. You know, we did stuff on mortgages and. Uh, insurance and all sorts of things and um, you know we at the same time we've been doing uh, a whole lot of work with uh, AMEND, uh, organization called MEND and you know, helping on the legal discrimination clinic they've got going there and uh, doing a lot of pro bono work uh, for various people and we, we realized that you know there's a whole set of problems here uh, that economics has a direct impact with. So a lot of the clients that we were seeing were people who weren't necessarily, you know, economically prosperous. And and I think that has a economics has a big impact on, you know, underrepresentation in media, in politics, and health outcomes, education outcomes, overrepresentation in prisons, uh, all sorts of things. And and I guess you know these were different threads that were going through our minds, and at the same, and at this point, we started corporate law as well, and we realised that mainstream Islamic finance, as it is today, is basically uh, corporate finance um, and helping banks, and, and that's fine. But it wasn't. I thought it wasn't something that was a particularly interesting to me personally, uh, but also b I didn't think it was that impactful. Like what I wanted to do with Islamic finance is really move the needle, and and I, I felt that it wasn't doing that. And then I guess the third bit of this kind of, um, you know, this kind of puzzle was uh, we started doing a lot of investing, uh, particularly venture investing, but also general investing. Um, and both Moss and I, in the corporate law space, we were in the venture capital space, um, yeah. equity space. So we got to work with a lot of these kind of, um, you know, high-flying fund managers and then companies as well uh, that were owned by these uh, funds. And we realized something that there wasn't many Muslims, if any, in this space, particularly practicing ones. Uh, and for me, that was really concerning because, you know, Muslims are about a quarter of the world's population. So why is it that in the top 100 companies, the only company there uh, that is from a Muslim country or background is Aramco? And even that is due to oil, right? Uh, so that's 1% when it should be 25%. That's a massive problem. Um, and so... Uh, in, 20, in January 2019, we thought to ourselves, okay, um, we both you know, are quite entrepreneurial. We know we want to do something about this. Um, and actually, IFG is this perfect vehicle that we've not done anything really with other than just blog away with um, over that time to really try and solve this problem that you know, Muslims are a quarter of the world's population, but they're 20% poorer than the rest of the world. How do we solve that? And, and we, you know, we kind of thought it out over the last year and a half. Um, and for us, the kind of solution to that key problem is twofold. So one is that you help every ordinary Muslim um, to basically get on top of their personal finances, to get their money uh, working for them, to make sure that they're making smart financial decisions. Because even small changes, even small kind of nudges that we can give them uh, can have a massive impact in the long term. Like, you know, for example, we did a, 
uh, you know, a video on marriage recently on, you know, having a budget wedding versus having a really extravagant one. And the, the saving there that you can make, if you kind of extrapolate that down, that saving could potentially save that family a generation of debt worth, you know, 225000 It could put two kids through university and save them that hassle um, and also save the, the parents the hassle of, you know, paying the you know, university fees. So that, you know, that, that kind of small kind of, you know, decision that you make early doors has a big impact. And we're hoping that we can, you know, look at lots of kind of little inefficiencies in our day-to-day lives that make us much more robust economic machines. Um, so that's one kind of big problem that we're trying to, you know, one solution that we have to this problem. And then the other is we want to help Muslim entrepreneurs uh, to become essentially the next big thing. So we want to have more Muslims in that top 100 companies in the world. And that only happens if more Muslims are, I think they have the networks, they have the funding, um, they have the ambition, um, and I think they have the role models as well. So it's great, actually, that what you guys are doing on this podcast is fantastic. I think there needs to be a lot more of this so that people have, um, you know, potential stories to look at. And there are stories out there now, uh, but they're kind of, you know, um, not as well publicized as perhaps they should be. So those are the kind of two problems that we're now trying to, you know, the, the two solutions that we have to the problem that we're now trying to solve. Um, and so Mossad and I, we... Uh, we we thought it'd take us about two years, uh, but Alhamdulillah, we uh, things snowballed quite quickly. And within nine months, like late you know September, maybe 2019, last year, we thought you know here we are. I think the train is now leaving the station, and you know we have to make a decision because on one side we've got the busy corporate law jobs that we have, and on this side we've got you know this thing that is kind of mushrooming. And there were t- times when you know I was on a train um, journey with you know. Uh, two phones on me both on mute and I was on calls where one was being led by a partner at work and one was being led by Mossin and so people on this tube station tube were just thinking who on earth is this guy what is he doing and I thought this you know this is not sustainable um, it's like a scene out of a movie you know you see the the, the business uh, busy business guy with two phones <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I hope you had a leather suitcase as well and a really long uh, jacket coat <laughs> yeah exactly um, yeah, so that's kind of, I guess, in a nutshell, what we're doing and how we're kind of fitting into all this. So I just want to pick up on a, uh, one thing that you said over there, because for me, the challenge always with reaching um, the right people with your message, you know, that's that for me, it's, uh, it's a question of education um, and getting people comfortable with understanding that taking care of your finance is a good thing and a beneficial thing. Um, when you, when I have started trying to have a conversation with ordinary Muslims, as you sort of um, uh, kind of categorize them, it always goes down to, you know, the is interest involved question, is the product really um, Islamic? And it sort of shuts off people from, like you say, like you said earlier, looking at the wider principles that underpins Islamic finance. Um, it then makes um, the products that you're sort of trying to suggest to people to improve their life more mystical and, you know, make them a bit more apprehensive about, you know, using them. How do you overcome that? Um, so I think it comes down to um, probably two things. One is to kind of frame it outside of, 
this kind of you know as a to use I guess a you know um, a movie example where you know you've got the close in shot and you've got the wide angle shot. Uh, I think people often just operate on the close in shot. And there's only so much of that you can do before you kind of, you know, lose context of what is going on. Um, and we uh, try and provide that kind of wide angle shot of, you know, Islamic mortgages, um, you know, you in order to understand them properly, you need to situate them into where we are right now. And, you know, let's say Arayan Bank is regulated by uh, the PRA, the FCA, and, you know, they've got their kind of, uh, other kind of you know basal requirements that they have to adhere to on capital requirements people don't understand the kind of implications of that and you can't then expect them to uh, you know be you know completely exactly as you want them but at the same time um, you know adhere to what the government and the regulators require so there needs there's this balance and I think a lot of just zooming out allows you to do that um, and and I guess the the other thing when it comes to people who um, you know are questioning, okay, well, you know, is this truly Islamic or not? Is just giving them a kind of um, uh, understanding of uh, the the nuts and bolts of how it all works, because I think people can um, you know it's it becomes quite popular, quite fashionable to ask that question. Um, and not really realize um, what it actually is. So I think it's a lot of demystification as well that we have to do. So uh, one, one thing I was curious about earlier, you mentioned about so the, the investment side of your business. So do you guys invest only in like Islamic companies or is it like anything ethical and or Sharia compliant as well? Uh, ethical or Sharia compliant? No, we don't, we don't have... So uh, on on the venture side of things, we invest about um, these days about three hundred to five hundred thousand into one or two deals a month, yeah. uh, early stage startups usually, um, yeah. and it happens to be the case that we invest. We've invested around I think eighty to ninety percent of our portfolio is in Muslim founders, um, yeah. but we have invested in non-Muslims as well, and that's not a problem. And actually, yeah. the majority of the companies are not Islamic economy focused, um, yeah. whereas the, that's not the thesis is that you help Muslim founders create the next big things. Um, it doesn't mean that, you know, you help Muslim founders create the next big Islamic finance thing. But, you know, if that happens, that's great. But yeah. that's necessarily, you know, the goal. Yeah. So I, I, I was um, quite interested to get your kind of thoughts on, I guess, because you're looking at all of these companies and you're, I guess, like like you say and said yourself, like a kind of money supermarket for, I guess, Islamic finance or Islamic products. Um, to get your opinion on like the growth of either Islamic finance or both Islamic economy over the years, because when I think about it, I kind of think there's a couple of key players and we've seen a few other smaller companies come in and maybe some of them are still kind of like, you know, pre-launching, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but it still seems to be like the main key players that people might have asked about in Islamic finance about 10 years ago and whether their products, I know some of their products have changed and maybe become more Sharia compliant but I guess yeah. to get your thoughts on where the market is now in terms of, uh, I guess, investment offerings um, from Islamic companies and where you think it's going as well. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a really exciting time uh, to be in Islamic finance. Um, and I guess that's why we, you know, we thought we need to go on this full time because we saw that there were so many interesting things happening. And, and I think there's two bits to that, um, you know, change that has taken place. One is, 
um, there's a whole bunch of new companies that have come into the market. And the reason why they've come in is because for the first time, um, you have had um, technology that, that enables people to kind of just, you know, lower the kind of entry costs into becoming a fintech or a financial institution. So that's the first thing. And that's great because the second aspect of this is, you know, Islamic finance, people throw around, you know, numbers like 1.6 trillion and all this sort of thing. Um, but I'm not sure that that is um, a true reflection on um, how big it actually is. I think it's much smaller than that. You've got uh, almost like a top-down approach to Islamic finance going on right now, right now, and has has been historically where you know you Islamicize what is a mainstream corporate transaction to kind of tick a box and make people happy. Whereas finance, not not just Islamic finance, but finance to work, it needs to solve a real problem, and that needs to be grassroots and upwards. And that's I think why you get those kind of questioning people because over the last 20, 30 years they've been you know they've been fed a diet of top down. So this Islamic fintech revolution that we're seeing, I think, is really interesting because they're actually starting with because they're startups. They're starting with a real problem of actual people, and they're trying to solve that. Um, so I'm quite excited by it, and and I guess with what we're doing at IFG, Islamic Finance Guru, is we're you know we're creating this kind of platform to uh, increase the transparency, the competition, make it make it easier for people to um, you know trust what people are presenting as sure compliant and and valuable as an investment proposition as well, because we will do the kind of due diligence on it. And we're kind of neutral third parties because, you know, we don't particularly, you know, care ultimately who you decide to invest with. Uh, and so because of that, I guess people, um, you know, they can kind of rely on us. And uh, and I think that, you know, just improves the ease of entry into this market because suddenly you've got all these consumers already there at IFG. So if a new fintech wants to come along, they don't have to worry about how am I going to talk to this consumer because we've you know we've got that consumer plugged into this ecosystem and then we're hopeful actually this then really kicks off something that is um you know amazing and i'm not even sure where this could go but if if, if it happens properly then we suddenly have a real kind of i think islamic finance um alternative i guess way of doing finance that you know we actually properly build out from ground grassroots upwards um so yeah let's see what happens but i'm excited I like that a lot of the things that you're trying to do are based, um, you know, on principles and values that are clearly important to you. And uh, so I wanted to maybe now just transition a little into talking about your personal journey and how, how from doing PPE at Oxford, you ended up in, you know, in the corporate law space and then transitioned over to becoming an entrepreneur and starting off IFG. Could you talk us through that journey? And uh, also upskilling is kind of a, you know, uh, a key word at the moment in, in everyone's agenda. And, and I think your sort of journey or your story um, demonstrates how you can use education as a tool for trying to pursue different paths. Um, so your, your experience in, in doing that and how the people around you potentially reacted to you changing course a few times would be quite interesting for our listeners. Definitely, definitely. Um, so I guess um, the uh, there's a few kind of, I guess, threads to this or a few themes that in retrospect, I guess, fit onto um, how I approached it. 
Um, and I think the first of those is um, to be fairly on, uh, to be fairly f- um, uh, driven towards a particular objective. And the way I, I think of it is, if you come in, let's say, as a trainee or a graduate in any kind of job, and you don't necessarily have um, a wider kind of big picture objective that you're trying to achieve, you know, five, ten years down the line. Um, then you won't necessarily have um, that drive towards something. And and what I mean by that is, let's say you're at level one and you've got a level three objective, right? If you don't have that level three objective, you'll probably be really good and you'll kind of enjoy your level one. For you, then it becomes a case of enjoyment and kind of, you know, maximizing the kind of local maxima, uh, the kind of short-term objectives, but that's not going to get you long-term success. Whereas if you have that level three objective and you think, all right, I want to get there, you might not actually get to that particular point on level three where you thought you'd end up on, um, but you will get to another point on level three. And and the key thing is that it's upwards. It's not level one anymore. It's level three. You may not end up where you thought you would, but it's still better than where you were. And, uh, and I think that I kind of... Um, uh, I think always had that um, aspect to it because I did a lot of introspection at the, in the last year of uni, and I thought, okay, you know, we uh, and I've done actually a, a YouTube video on this, an Islamic approach to career planning about how you think about, you know, what are you good at, what are you interested in, what is there a need for in this world, and then come up with a whole set of kind of things that where all three things overlap, and you pick one of those and you kind of go for it, and that can change every six months or so. But the point that the point is that you have that. Um, and for example, uh, you know, during my training contract, within the first six months, I kind of realized that, you know, law is not something I'm going to do long term. Um, and also the two ways that I'm going to get out of it is either uh, investment or funds or something along those lines or um, becoming a barrister because I was doing a lot of pro bono work then. Um, and so uh, for that first year, essentially, I was doing pu- mini pupillages at barristers' chambers and spending all my holidays um, doing interviews and, uh, you know, putting being put through absolute hell by these barristers. I mean, barristers are really, you know, the worst people you get to interview you. It was such a hard experience. Um, and but But having that, you know, as a kind of driving force, um, I think meant that I, I just achieved a lot more. and I did a lot more other kind of things. And even the stuff that I was doing at work, because I was thinking constantly, how can I maximize that? It led me to do stuff at work that no one else was doing. Um, and and I guess that's kind of one, one key principle, I'd say, that this kind of idea of level up. And then the other thing I would say is defensibility. So this is the kind of entrepreneurial aspect. Um, so you know when you when you when we look at a startup, if it's something that we want to invest in, we want it to be something that has a, a large moat around it, something that's going to make it long term um, more successful than anyone any of its competitors. And the kind of things that you look at for moats are network effects, something like Facebook, uh, economies of scale, something like Amazon, or deep. IP and you know just deep research, so stuff like Google's algorithms or Babylon Health's um, you know algorithms and systems. Um, and uh, the more you think about yourself as a startup or as a business, the more you can kind of 
build in those defenses. So in order to do IFG, you know, we've, uh, we've, it's a combination of corporate law experience, investment experience, the Islamic, um, you know, studies that we've done, but also the, you know, the, the university studies and finance that, you know, mainstream Islamic fi- finance qualifications that we've done. There's a whole kind of hodgepodge of things that have allowed us to do Islamic finance guru, plus, you know, the three, four years of, you know, writing rubbish blogs that we've had to do in order to, you know, slowly make ourselves better. And and that is defense, right? If you think of it from a startup's perspective. So think of yourself, I guess, from, a, um, from, from that perspective as well. And just kind of, th- I always thought of my 20 to 30 as my years of setting up um, and just putting in the pieces of the jigsaw. And I didn't know exactly what, the, what I was going to do with it um, until, you know, last year. But, um, but, you know, if you put together really compelling bits of the jigsaw, um, inshallah, the thing that you'll come out with will be really interesting as well. There was, there, was, there was something else I wanted to kind of touch on as well. So obviously we spoke about your like, education journey from, I guess, Oxford onwards and your kind of last year of university where you were introspecting and kind of thinking about what you wanted to do. I'm curious about kind of, I guess, any previous um, Islamic education before that or maybe something to do with your upbringing that kind of geared you towards going for that. Like, I want to do something Islamic. And, and, and the other thing, actually, so kind of what, what you're talking about, and I, I guess it would just be interesting to get your thoughts on this, is that, so I've, I, I kind of wanted to go into Islamic finance as well. And I think I've gone to some of these panels. And when you go to, I mean, this was when I was in, in the middle of my career, I guess, or my career so far. And everyone's always asking, you know, how do I get into Islamic finance? And I don't think there's such a position that exists where you can go as a graduate, really, and just go and join like an you know, Islamic bank or something like most of these companies will only take on mature people or because they're startups, they can't afford to really take on new people. So it'd be interesting to kind of um, get your thoughts on that. And then also what made you go kind of have that Islamic underpinning that you wanted to do something Islamic in the first place? So I think on the uh, growing up aspect, uh, a lot of it really goes down to my mom um, because she kind of instilled on us from the start. Uh, she was kind of from, I guess, a Jamaat Islami type background where, you know, you have to, um, you know, you have to serve the Muslim Ummah, you have to serve the community, you have to add value to the world in some way, shape or form. And you have a finite amount of resources, both from a time but also, you know, intellectual capacity, mental, uh, monetary, um, you know, resources that you have. And everything needs to be funneled and channeled in the most efficient way possible to solving, you know, the biggest problem or the biggest kind of, um, you know, the issues that there are in the world right now. And, and for each person, that's different because each person has a different set of resources. Uh, but that's what you'll be judged on. And it's not, you know... Uh, I'm sure both of you guys, mashallah, you've had great careers, so you're pretty bright. Uh, and and because of that, you probably don't have to work very hard or as hard as other people do to um, you know do well in you know school and what have you. But the question isn't uh, if you've got the grade that you know is good. The question is, have you got the grade that is equivalent to what you should have got given the resources and the, the mental faculties Allah SWT has given you. And so, um, you know, I think my mom kind of instilled that in us that, you know, the, 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 the competitor isn't the guy sat next to you. The competitor right now is the guy in Eton who is being, you know, trained up to become the next prime minister. He's a competition and you don't even see him. 
Um, and uh, I mean, my mum didn't say that necessarily, but you know, I kind of read between the lines. And um, and I think the uh, the other thing that uh, really helped from my upbringing, I mean, I guess this, you know, a lot, a lot part of it is just fortuitous that you know, at various points we've had come across people who have got us into, you know, doing the dawah table and getting us involved in public speaking. Uh, me and my brothers and sisters and. Uh, we went to Jamas quite a bit, you know, back in the day when Jamas was a big conference. Um, yeah. We had a local sheikh who uh, was a class fellow, Sheikh, Waj- uh, sheikh Yasir Qadi, uh, a guy called Sheikh Wajid up in the Northeast. He taught us a lot of like basic Islam, which was really helpful. Um, and then um, I, I guess moving forwards in terms of the uh, Islamic finance career thought as a question. I, I agree with you, Abdurrahman, that I don't think that there is an easy way into Islamic finance, a kind of cookie-cutter way. I think you either have to go into mainstream finance or mainstream corporate professions and then uh, segue into uh, Islamic finance, or you uh, you know cut your own path in Islamic finance and do your own thing. Um, and and that I think will change inshallah once we get maturer as an Islamic finance industry because like once you know Wahid or once you know IFG you know in 10 years time we become a much maturer company then we'll probably have graduate schemes uh, where people can plug into and other yarn maybe as they grow as well they'll have kind of graduate schemes that are not just there for the sake of it but actually really interesting compelling schemes that are well respected and actually add value to you as a graduate once you have that, then you you know you kind of have that kind of flywheel effect turning, and I think inshallah you'll have more people coming in, and you know we'll have kind of uh, a virtuous cycle going on. That's really exciting for people looking to create something new. Um, that you know the maturity of the market is such that you can create some, a new product in, in that space and, and really you know drive it through which which i think is quite um, exciting especially for people maybe in the corporate world with with the means and um and backing behind that but also people with just you know a bit of a can-do attitude and and willingness to learn um there's an opportunity to create something new which is great um we are coming to the end of our podcast and uh, you know thanks for giving us your time on a sunday morning we really really appreciate it um but at the end of our podcast what we usually like to do is a bit of a fun round so i'm just going to throw a few words at you and you can just tell me you know the first thoughts that come to your to your mind um the words will be slightly related to you so um hopefully they shouldn't be um you know too surprising um so so the first word i have is money uh, needs to be halal. I thought maybe you know based on value or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like I like I like that. And what do you mean by halal money? Um, so uh, how would you define it? So uh, I was having a really interesting interview with as uh, so we do a podcast as well called Millionaire Muslim. Um, and on the on that podcast we had this guy on recently who. Uh, he's raised a huge ton of money and they're building uh, insect farms in uh, Canada. And the idea is that it takes eight kilograms worth of feed to create one kilogram of beef. Whereas with insects, it you know, 1.1 kilograms creates one kilogram of insect meat. Um, Those are protein, yeah. Exactly. And, and his point was that, you know, that what makes, some scholars think that what makes uh, an insect uh Haram or halal is what they're eating. So like a dung beetle is literally what it eats. 
Um, and so because of that, it's, you know, it's not generally seen as impermissible. So I guess the same principle is for a human being, whatever we eat is actually in, in, a, in a weird spiritual way what we are. Um, so we need to make sure that our earnings are halal. I guess it's a long, very uh, long way of putting a very simple thing. Uh, Ibrahim, I really love eating prawns. So, you know, I'm going to take that little pinch of salt. <laughs> um, so the next, the next one I have is power. Uh, something that um, you um, should seek if uh, you have um, the, I guess the, um, the the characteristics or the kind of uh, makeup to be able to handle it, and and I don't mean necessarily political power because I think power is a uh, is quite a, 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 a broad term. I think even people who who seek you know to be successful in a career or in business are actually seeking in many ways power. Um, so I think I don't think it's uh, when understood in that broad way. I don't think it's a bad thing to seek, but I think it needs to be always uh, subservient to the, you know, the Islamic mission um, and, you know, putting what Allah wants before what you want. As long as you can keep on doing that and keep on, you know, going up the rungs of your career or, you know, business or whatever it is, uh, great. But where it's, where, where that, you know, where the, where the fun stops, stop, as the gambling websites tell us. <laughs> my worry is how power when you know some sort of influence when you do get hold of it how it changes you as an individual and it's something actually that my dad just always reminds me it's like you know when you're in that position the things that you're complaining about these people doing how are you going to ensure that you don't fall into the same trap um i yeah. think that yeah there's no, easy, there's no easy solution to that yeah. I and have the right people around you to keep you accountable, you know. Um, the final word I had for you is um, a startup, and then I'll pass over to Abdurrahman to kind of uh, close us off. Oh, startup. Um, so uh, a startup is not just uh, any business that has just started. Uh, in the technical kind of BC sense of it, a startup is normally a tech business that has the potential to become a billion dollar company within five years. Um, most won't do it, but they have that potential. Whereas uh, if you are setting up, I don't know, like a, a IT company or a, a news agent or even like a large kind of warehouse uh, selling, I don't know, tools, uh, that's a, a young business, but it's not a startup. Um, and, and that's important to keep in mind when you look for financing um, because uh, the models and modes of financing and the kind of equity that you'll give away are very different to each other. So, um, uh, yeah, look into it if that's if this applies to you. Nice. Thank you, Ibrahim. It's, uh, it's, it's really great to have you on. Uh, very informative and very interesting to get your perspective on you know, Islamic finance and, and, and the things that you're doing as well. Uh, so, Jazakallah for your time. And uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, if you liked uh, the podcast, please like, follow and subscribe on our social media platforms. Uh, and inshallah, we'll see you on the next podcast. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum.